When we talk about your values, what are we talking about? What do we mean by your values? And we have an idea. What, what, what do we? What's that? What do you think is good to do? Okay. Anything else? It means a lot to you? Okay. Yes. Maybe like what is what you see as right and good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Yes. The foundation of your beliefs in life. Very good. Very good. Okay. All right. So yeah, those are some great things for values. They matter to you, like how you want to live foundation to your life. Okay, a, a related question, well, at least to, to a related word, because you know what having values. Now, when you, I want you to think about that which is valuable. When you think about that which is valuable, what makes something valuable? What is it? That, why, why, why is it valuable to you or to others? What makes something valuable? Level of importance you put on something? Level of importance you put on something? Sure. Was there, it's worth. You already mean like maybe monetary value? Not necessarily, right? It can go beyond monetary value. Maybe it just has a special meaning to you. Yeah, okay. Anything else? Something that reminds you of something important. Okay. All right, these are, these are great answers to help us getting into the mindset of what our new sermon series is this Easter season. Because we're, we're talking about godly values for a new life. We're talking about what really matters to God and what is important from God's perspective for the new life that he has given us. It's, it's something that is, has great worth. It's something that Jesus paid a lot for by dying on the cross and rising again. When we talk about these values, they are the foundation for how we live our lives and how we know what is right and wrong. It is all these things. In this season, we're going to talk about how God has now given us this new life, and now there are new things that are valuable to us, that are foundational to us. As we think about living our lives of faith in this world as we live in people who have great expectation of resurrection ahead and have new resurrection life today. So the first of these values, the first new beautiful valuable thing that we've been given and that then is a foundation for our life and how we live it, the first one we're going to talk about today is the value of faith. The lesson that we have, it's Matthew chapter 21 verses 18 to 21. It says, early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again! Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Now with our lesson today, we actually go back a bit in the, in the story of, of Jesus and the life of Jesus from where we maybe would think we would be. We're in you know, the Easter season, but we're actually going to go back to pre-Jesus dying on the cross. We're actually going to go back to Holy Week. When we go back to this section of Matthew, we see that Jesus had just uh, rode into Jerusalem on that donkey on Palm Sunday. All the people are chanting and celebrating and saying Hosanna to the son of David, and then after Jesus goes into Jerusalem, then we have this lesson or we have this account of how Jesus um, goes and he, he cleanses the temple and overchanges, uh, overturns the tables of the money changers and drives up the, the, the sellers of the pigeons and so on. We actually talked about that event not too long ago. The lesson was called, What Would Jesus Undo? 
Perhaps you remember I flipped over a table here and almost hit some people with coins. Didn't, not doing that today. You're welcome. Um, but we did review these events uh, recently. If you're thinking about the events that we just reviewed, if you read any of that context when we went through it last time, that was from the Gospel of Mark. Today we're looking at it from the Gospel of Matthew. And if you were to compare the two, just need to point this out. If you were to compare the two, you would see that the way these two authors, these two writers, talk about Jesus on Palm Sunday and then cleansing the temple and then um, the events of our lesson today with the fig tree, you would see they approach them very differently. And you might even at first glance think that they're somewhat contrary, which is part of the reason why I just want to hit this and highlight this. Because when you look through the events of the week, Matthew really just lists Jesus as going, into Palm, going in on Palm Sunday, and then he goes right to Jesus going to the temple and cleansing it. And then he says he goes home or goes back to Bethany. And then the next morning, this event with the fig tree happens. Mark gives some more details where he talks about the events of Palm Sunday. He says Jesus goes around and looks in the temple, goes back to Bethany that night. In the morning, the next morning, goes in, sees the fig tree, curses it, cleanses the temple. And then on his way back, they see that it's been withered. It could seem a bit, a bit different at first. But while that can seem a bit different at first, sometimes we get people get nervous. See, the Bible doesn't always fit. What we really just need to do is stop and remember how the Bible works. And note, remember that these writers are writing to a specific audience and, and writing things a specific way, emphasizing things a specific way. Sometimes based on the point that they're trying to get to, they will summarize things. Or they will jump right to an event. Sometimes they won't always do things chronologically. They'll go right to maybe the next highlight point to really bring out the message that they're, they're doing. And that maybe seems a little different to us, but this is a very common historical way of writing at the time. And if you think about it, we actually do this with fair regularity in when we tell stories or recount things from our lives. I just want to share one example of it. So this last, uh, we went, uh, we did a little camping from Thursday evening to yesterday. And I could tell you when we were camping, I could share with you that while we were camping, I went out to um, a spot right by the campground uh, and bought wood. And they normally have bait there. And I was also told when I was there that they didn't have bait yet for the year, that I had to go somewhere else. Okay? I just told you one thing of what happened there. That's one way of telling it. If I wanted to, I could also tell you that I went there on the first day we were there, got the wood, and then on Saturday morning, because it was so nice yesterday, we wanted to go fishing, and then I went back there, and when I went back there the second time, I was informed they didn't have any bait. Now, do those two stories contradict each other? They're different. But one was much more summary fashion. The other one, for whatever reason, I gave you more details. And this is often how the biblical writers and the gospel writers will work, is they're not contradictory. They're just different emphasis, different audience, different approach. One might be summarizing. One might be getting into more details here or there. So just want to lay that out there. If you read through this in Matthew's account, and if you go, wait, that seems different than when I read through it in Mark's account, it is portrayed in a bit of a different way because there's a different audience and a different approach and a different emphasis. And that's just how we recount events. So that's, don't let the world tell you, oh, see, this is an example of the Bible contradicting. It is not. It's just an example of people recounting events the way people recount events. But we're going to look through, it's important sometimes when you go through the different ways, instead of looking and saying, well, Mark says it this way and Matthew says it this way, so we're going to fill in all these blanks, it can be really helpful to just go, okay, Matthew goes to the events this way. There must be a reason he's doing it that way. 
So as we look at this event, let's just go through it the way Matthew does. Let's not take and compare it as we study it today. And so that's what, just what we're going to do. We're just going to look at Matthew's approach to these events and what Matthew or what God teaches us through Matthew about the value of faith. Okay, so with Matthew's account, we see that early in the morning, as he was on his way back into the city, Jesus was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. I always thought this is a strange, strange event. Um, just from, from my perspective, it can be helpful a bit to get some understanding of how figs work. Because I don't know about, and do figs even grow here, fig trees? Could we if we wanted to? I don't even know. Um, all I know is I have zero experience with figs besides fig newtons. It's about it. Um, <laughs> So I needed to do a little bit of research and found out that figs, um, actually, they put out their first fruit buds before they even start to grow their leaves. Which means then if it's full of leaves, by the time you see the leaves, that should be a clear indicator that the fruit is ripe. The leaves should be a clear sign that the fruit has been growing for a while, and you should be able to pick it here. And so when you go up to the tree, you see it, it's, it's putting off the, the impression that there's fruit here. It looks like it's alive. It looks like it's a place you should be able to go and get fruit. It's clear as can be. And yet, when Jesus gets there, he discovers that this tree is a poser. It's an imposter. It's pretending to be ready to be picked from, and it is not producing the proper fruit. And so Jesus gets very angry at this imposter fig tree. And says, you don't ever produce fruit again, and then it withers and dies. When Jesus does that, his disciples, they're amazed. How did your fig tree wither so quickly? I prefer to think of them just being like, whoa, how did this happen? Although, even that to me seems like a bit of a strange question. I mean, you've seen the guy walk on water and calm the storms. Making a fig tree wither doesn't seem that impressive to me, but, you know, I suppose if I was there, I probably would be pretty blown away. Jesus' disciples ask, how did this happen? How did this wither so quickly? And Jesus gives this really incredible response. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be. There's that phrase, do not doubt. And sometimes... When I see verses like that, it kind of, I can struggle with it some because I can sense that there's a part of me that's like, well, I, I believe this from God, but there might be a part of me that feels like, ah, can I really believe it? I have to be without any doubt at all to trust God. Is that what, what Jesus is saying here? But if you look at it in the original language, it's a bit, it, there's, there's something helpful going on here. Is that the word doubt at its root, it, it literally means to separate. It's actually the same root word that you get the word like to judge from. So you distinguish between whether this is, this something is good or something is bad, or something is believable, or something is not believable. So that the idea of doubt here is that you're actually not just struggling with feelings of, you know, it's, it's just kind of hard to believe this, but where you're actually shifting from thinking that, yes, this is true, to going away from that. And if you think about it that way, this is a very, then, very practical and really just makes sense. I want to uh, maybe just help illustrate this here. So... Um, let's see here. 
Eric, I'm going to loan you a, I don't have a lot in my wallet, $10 bill. Loan you. Okay? $10 bill here. All right? And let's imagine you came here today to church today and you said, Pastor, you know what? I just feel like giving you a $10 bill today. I just feel like giving you 10 bucks. And if I said, I don't believe you and go the other way, do I get the $10? Well, no. Right? And if I say, really? Ah, oh, that's so nice. I always knew you were a top-notch guy. Thanks. Do I get the $10? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it seems like almost too simple. Uh, but that's, that's really, that's the idea here, is, right? Is, is there's this distinguishing one way or the other. If you're going to believe, he gave you the ten, he's got the $10 for me, I'll get it. But if you go the opposite direction and say, no, I don't think you've got it, well, then you don't get it. And so Jesus is saying, if you believe and don't doubt, if you don't go away from it, here's what can actually happen. You can do what happened here with the fig tree, and he actually says, you can say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. Go and throw yourself into the sea, mountain, and it will be done. That's the value of faith. That faith is that powerful and that important that it could pick up a mountain and throw it in the sea. Not because faith itself has, has some sort of power and we think about it like when we have, it's not like we have some sort of energy worked up inside of us, but remember, biblical faith literally means to be persuaded. It's all about who you've been brought to faith in. And so if we've been brought to faith in the God who spoke the world into creation, it makes sense that our faith, because it's based on him who spoke the world into being, that our faith could also be the means by which we could tell a mountain to go be thrown in the sea. Because if God can make mountains, he could also throw mountains. That's the power and value of faith. So am I telling you this morning that you should go and pray that God takes, you know, pick your mountain and throw it into the sea and this will be fun and we'll see what happens? Not exactly. But let's be clear, the reason why I'm not telling you to go and pray that God throws, I don't know, Mount Rainier into the Pacific Ocean is not because God can't. It's because apparently it looks like God's pointing us to something else. Probably something actually even more foundational and more significant than that. Part of the reason why we see it is because, you know, when you look through the New Testament and you see Jesus' disciples, God through them is doing amazing things, right? God is healing people through his disciples. They're speaking in tongues. People are just trying to even touch a piece of, like, Peter's clothing to try to get healed. I mean, it's remarkable. But never once in the book of Acts do we see, um, like, the Apostle Paul saying, Yo, Peter, didn't Jesus tell you that thing about moving mountains? We should try that. Like, there, we don't see any examples of Jesus' disciples trying to do this. So it's pretty clear that's, that's not what they took from this. There's also, when you look at the biblical account, a number of under, other indicators that this is pointing to something else. See, when you look at this, just like any other section of scripture, there's often there is layer upon layer upon layer of meaning here. And the more we meditate upon it and let these layers be revealed to us by God's Holy Spirit through his word, the more we can see where God is, is pointing and directing us. So, so let's look at some of these, these layers a bit. First of all, and I mentioned before about how I don't really have much of a concept of a fig tree, but for the people in Jesus' day, the fig tree was a very much normal, everyday, average part of life. But it also had some 
some symbolic significance. Uh, for instance, in, 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 in Solomon's lifetime, we're told in 1 Kings, Judah and Israel and from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. It's a way of, of, of expressing that God's people lived in peace and prosperity and, and things were good. The fig tree was kind of a symbol that things were, things were good in the land. So this tree that Jesus walked up to was putting off this, this look like things were good and prosperity and God was blessing them and lots of good things were happening. Of course, remember there was no fruit. It was putting off the impression that things were good in the land, but the fruit of the land was actually missing. Remember, too, what this event with Jesus and the fig tree is connected to. Jesus goes to the temple. I encourage you, if you want to review this, or maybe you weren't here for that message, you didn't get a chance to catch it, go back and find the message, what would Jesus undo, because we dig into it a lot there. But just to summarize, in the temple, there was a lot of activity a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people there. But it wasn't producing the fruit it was really supposed to. It was, the temple was to be a place where people who needed help were getting it, where people who needed a savior were comforted with the hope of a savior, where people who, who needed, needed support from others were getting it, and they were not. They were actually being taken advantage of. It was a place where the world was to be, be, be brought because the temple was to be a light to the world. The people were there, and it was not. It was a place that was active and busy and looked full of life, but was not producing its fruit. The fig tree picture helps us understand what Jesus did at the temple, which actually fits in line with what Jesus does often in these events, leading up to Palm Sunday and actually then during Holy Week. Jesus, if you read through, Jesus loved to use the picture of, of gardening, of fruit, of vineyards, to help people understand what he was doing with the nation. Just a little word, just side note for just something I've learned has helped me with my Bible study and want to share in case it helps with you is if you ever get to a weird, to a section of scripture that just feels weird, keep reading. Because sometimes, and, and pay attention to see if there's a, like a repeated pattern. Because sometimes when you see it pop up later or these repeated patterns, it can help you understand the little one that seemed strange or out of place. When you see it in its bigger context, it can be really helpful. Jesus, when you read through, these are just these are some examples here. When you read through his, uh, uh, his parables and so on, during Holy Week, Jesus often uses pictures of vineyards or trees or fruit to help us understand what's going on with Jesus and the people of God. For instance, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells this parable about two sons, man having two sons, and, God, and the man says to, to the first one, go work in the field, and he says, um, he says, I, sure, I'll go and go to the field, and he says, I'll do it, but then later he doesn't go. He says to the second one, please go work in the field. The son says, no, but later he goes. Which one really does the Lord's work? It's the one who actually goes and works in the vineyard, the place where you get your fruit. There's probably the most pointed one, pointed parable that Jesus shares in Matthew 21, verse 41, where Jesus tells this parable about this man who owns a vineyard, and sends to get the fruit from the vineyard, and the people won't give it to him. And actually, they end up killing the son of the owner rather than giving the fruit back to the owner of the vineyard. That's probably the clearest or most pointed one. Well, here's another example where Jesus says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. 
as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. In other words, the fig tree is a pointer for what season of the time it is. He uses a fig tree then as a picture for how you should be able to see what's going on around you. And you should, in the coming days, be able to see what's happening in Jerusalem and with God's people. God, again and again, uses vineyards and plants to help us understand that something's wrong with the people of God. That it's not, they're not producing the fruit that is meant to be produced. That there's a problem here. All right, so Jesus uses this, this pictures of vineyards and fruit to help us understand what's going on with God's people. But also the idea of a mountain being moved is a way that God also often helps us understand what he's doing in the world. You can go back this week, and if you want your own, own time, to, to Google, like, mountains moving. In Bible verse, mountains moving. And you will see that there's a lot of, actually, where God uses this imagery to talk about how, what God, what he does to really set things right. When he does, when he comes to work on behalf of his people, he'll, he'll, he'll crush mountains or move mountains. Um, or there's like there's this example from Zechariah here. This is just one of them here where it talks about how when the Lord comes, uh, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north, half moving south. People will flee through there. God loves to use a picture of a mountain to express how God will take on those who are enemies of him, those who are proud and boastful, and will turn it upside down and make a way for his people. All right, so put these pictures together, put these layers together here in thinking about the value of faith. In this section, we see Jesus, we see God again and again using the fig tree to help us understand what's going on with God's people, that God's people might look alive Things might look fine in many ways, but there's fruit that's missing. And then he goes on and he uses a picture of a mountain. The mountains often stand for those who are opposing God or enemies of God and how God can cut right through that and make a way for the people. And what do we see then here in this section? What is the value of faith? The value of faith is that for those in a world where people People were not producing the fruit that they were supposed to, where people were proud and doing things their own way instead of God's way. Through faith, God can cut a hole in that. God can change and make a way for his people to be brought back into relationship with him and to live with him and to have life with him going forward. In a world where people are not producing the fruit God had created, who people have a mountain, a mountain of pride that would get in the way, God has a way of totally moving that out of the way and bringing people forward into life he's created them to have. So now I want to ask you to think about what are the mountains in your life and in this world that really need to be moved? Where do we see where people are living and, and, and looking alive but not really producing the fruit that God would have us produce? Where do we see people looking alive and looking good and looking well, but actually what we have here is a mountain of pride, a mountain of supposed self-sufficiency, of doing things their own way instead of God's way, of doing things the world's way instead of God's way. Where in this world is there a mountain that needs to be moved? Where in this world would Jesus come up and see something that looks like it's alive, but there's no fruit? 
And where would Jesus then say, no more fruit from you, and call it out? As we think about where we would see this in this world, we should stop and recognize that the biggest mountain that needs to be moved is not in any range on one side of the United States of the American continent. The biggest mountain that needs to be moved is that stone-cold heart that is inside each and every one of us when we were born into this world. Because we're all born into this world as people who have, God's word uses this picture, hearts of stone. Hearts that are prideful. Hearts that, that try to do things our own way instead of God's way. Hearts that pretend that we're self-sufficient. Hearts that, that don't love God and other people the way we were meant to. And Even though we've been brought to faith in Christ, we still have a sinful nature that has a stony heart. And so for each of us, as we think about where are these mountains that need to be moved, where is there a fig tree that is putting out leaves but not putting out fruit, the first place and the most important place we need to look is in the mirror. Where in my life is there this pride, this hard heart that needs to be broken over? Where am I acting alive but not producing fruit? You know, especially because you used to think about as you're here, you're here in, on, on, here in worship, you are here the Sunday after Easter, by the way, which is notoriously like the worst attended Sunday of the church year. So there you go, pat yourself on the back. You guys are the few, the proud. <laughs> Wait, did I just say that, the proud? Sometimes we can, it's wonderful you're here. I'm not, it's not I'm not getting anybody for being here. But my point is, sometimes the devil can start getting us being proud. We are the few, the proud doing this thing for him or that thing for him or that thing. And we can start to actually feel really good about ourselves because we look alive and holy, but we still have sinful hearts. And we can start to pump ourselves up. Sometimes that we can have these mountains of pride building in our hearts. Anytime, anywhere in our lives where we see, where we see these mountains of pride, where we look alive, you know, maybe we're busy doing lots of fun things and we're meeting with the family, we're going here or there, it's going to be a beautiful spring day, we look fully alive. Anytime we look fully alive but that fruit isn't there, remember what the answer to that is. Is that while Jesus did in fact curse a fig tree and say you're not bearing fruit anymore, the good news of Good Friday that we recently talked about is that Jesus became a curse for us on the cross. And all of your sin, all the ways that we have been prideful, all the ways that we haven't produced fruit, were put on Jesus when he hung on the cross. And Jesus, by dying to pay the price to take the justice for everything you and I have ever done wrong, Jesus, by doing that on the cross, by him dying on the cross, and by him rising again on Easter Sunday, when Jesus died and rose again, that mountain of a stone-cold heart that we were all born with, as far as God's concerned, was thrown into the sea. When Jesus died and rose again, the mountain of your stone-cold heart, as God's concerned with, was tossed into the sea. And just like on Easter Sunday when that stone was rolled away to show that there wasn't a dead person in there anymore, but somebody who was, who was alive and well, when you and I are brought to faith in Christ, the stone of our hearts is rolled away, to show that we are people who are alive and well in God's eyes. We are people who are able to produce fruit. 
people who are living in expectation of resurrection with Jesus ahead. And we are people who are living with the ability to produce fruit in our lives now, real fruit. This is the value of faith. The value of faith is that faith is this gift that God has given us through which we receive the fact that Jesus died and rose again to cast our stony hearts into the sea, to roll the stone away from our hearts to show that we have been made new and we have a new life with him. Through faith, we get to step forward into a new life in a new world. This second, uh, this second Sunday of Easter is often a weekend where we talk about faith because it's that week after Easter where Thomas was, and we reviewed this in that gospel lesson. Remember Thomas wasn't there the first night, didn't believe Jesus had risen. One week later, Jesus is there. Thomas is there with them. But I always wonder, like, where Thomas was that first Sunday night. Like, man, like, did he go out to get food and then come back and Jesus had shown up when he was gone? Like, man, come on. Like, can you imagine the frustration? But he was there the second time. But then Jesus made that comment. He said, blessed are those who haven't seen but believe. Faith is this beautiful, beautiful gift that God gives his people. And we read in our lesson from Ephesians just how powerful that gift is. Remember how he said how he talked about his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There is a power at work in you that is just as strong as the power that raised Jesus back to life on Easter Sunday. And that power is at work in you through faith. So I'm going to ask you again to think about what are those mountains not so you can look and go, ah, oh, this is where I've had a stone-cold heart again, but where you can see that, you know what? God, by his strength, can move this mountain in me. As far as he's concerned already, it's already moved. He doesn't see you as someone who has a stone-cold heart. He sees you as someone who has a heart that is living and breathe. Well, do hearts breathe? Well, either way, you get the idea that it's made out of flesh. It has a real working heart. You can say, okay, where have I been living like the old me, and where do I now get to step forward in faith. Where in my life is there a mountain that I'm seeing pop up? God's already moved that mountain in Jesus. I get to simply believe in a step forward and see what's he going to do with the next mountain? How is he going to make a way for me to step through? As you think about it, it may be just in your own life, but maybe it's also beyond that. Maybe it's in, in the church. You know, there may be, as we look around in our church, but also in the churches as a whole, there may be ways where the world, where the church is like a fig tree that's producing a whole lot of leaves, but the fruit's not there. And the beautiful news that we have today is that as Easter people, as people who've been brought to faith in Christ, God can work through us to move mountains, to call out where the fruit hasn't been there, and then to see the fruit pre-produced again. God can work through us in the church. And not only in the church, but in the world. Where, where is there fruit needing to be produced? Where are there mountains that are needing to be moved? See it, recognize it, and then remember that the way those mountains are moved, the way the fruit will get produced, is by going back and remembering that when Jesus died and rose again, the mountains of our hearts were thrown into the sea. When that stone was rolled away, it revealed a new life. And we get to step forward and live a mountain-moving life life. That is the value of faith.